because I got to have faith. I got to have faith because I got to have faith, faith, faith. I got to have faith, faith, faith. So sung the late George Michael when I was growing up as a boy. Got to have faith. I think it's pretty safe to say that George Michael was not talking about the Christian faith. Indeed, speaking about that famous number one hit, uh, George Michael said it just represented how I felt about my life at the time. Faith was another word for my great optimism in me. In short, uh, George Michael was a little bit ahead of his time. An early advocate of a quote which I recently saw emblazoned on a young girl's coffee mug which said this, believe in yourself and the rest will fall into place. Have faith in your own abilities, work hard, and there is nothing you cannot accomplish. Have faith in yourself, and the rest will fall into place. And perhaps, perhaps just like George Michael, or or perhaps just like that young girl, that is what you think you've got to have. Perhaps you don't sing such smaltzy songs. Perhaps you don't own such mawkish coffee mugs. But ultimately, that is what you tell yourself. I've got to have faith in myself, for if I do, the rest will fall into place. I've got to have faith in myself, for if I do, the rest will fall into place. When our passage this morning, we meet a young girl. We meet a young girl who was also looking for that rest to fall into place. Did you notice that? That the rest that this young girl looks for it is not a rest, meaning they're kind of remaining parts of life, but as you can see, an actual physical rest. For the first verse this morning, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, uh, said to her, please do look down, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? What is this rest that is discussed at the breakfast table and pondered by, by, by mother-in-law and, and daughter. Well, if you've been following in our series so far, you'll know that, that rest, what it signifies. You, you'll know that, that, that what rest is being discussed here, it's not the rest found in a, in, in a Sunday afternoon nap or in a summer vacation or in having your second COVID jab, but rather a rest that has something to do, as you can see in verse 2, with a man named Boaz. Well, we discover that the rest for this, this young girl, Ruth, will not be found in herself this week, but will be found in the kind farmer of last week. The, the man Boaz, who, if you remember last week, kindly welcomed this poor immigrant Ruth to his farm, kindly protected the Moabite uh, Ruth from, from workers who wanted to harm her, uh, probably due to her race and her gender and kindly sent Ruth home each and every day with mountains of food. But perhaps as a result, it is tempting to think that the rest hoped for and excitedly discussed here and and plotted by mother-in-law and daughter was the rest found in a kind of picture-perfect wedding day with that kind Mr. Boaz. But as we saw from chapter 1, that that is not what biblical rest is all about. For the promised rest in the Bible, it is not the rest found in the perfect wedding day, nor the rest found in having a husband, nor the rest found in having children, nor, nor the rest being found in, in being a housewife, as if this narrative were, were subtly trying to, to sell that as the, as the life goal for every girl. No, 
Biblical rest always has to do with being one of God's people in God's place. Accordingly, uh, rest for the foreigner Ruth was all about getting a piece of land, a, a permanent land in God's promised land. For a place or an inheritance in the promised land meant that you were one of God's people forever. No longer an outsider, but wonderfully at home with God. Now, consequently, rest in the Bible finds its, its climax, its, its high point in the place of heaven. Revelation 14, right at the end of the Bible says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, may they rest. Rest in the, in the Old Testament, in the time of Ruth, meant, it meant getting a, a permanent place in Israel. That's what this discussion this morning is all about. But rest in, in the New Testament after Jesus meant getting a permanent place in heaven. And how do we know that? How do we know that, that rest for Ruth it equals getting heaven? How do we know that I'm not just allegorizing this text so that I have to, something to say about a, a very weird 11th century BC date night? Well, again, that's exactly how the New Testament tells us that this idea of rest is fulfilled. Hebrews uh, chapters 3 and 4, in summary, and you can look it up for your homework, say this. In the same way that some Israelites didn't make it to God's promised land, Christians won't either if they don't listen to God. For if the Israelites had true rest in Israel, God would not have spoken about another day later. There remains a rest for the people of God strive to enter the great heavenly rest. Accordingly, if you're still with me, just by looking at Ruth uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, can you see just how high the stakes are this morning? Can you you see the value of this seemingly trivial, maybe slightly odd-looking passage for you and me? Ruth and Naomi's plodding around the breakfast table about how to get onto the Israeli property ladder, about how to get rest in God's promised land, is a picture, a metaphor for us here today about how to get true rest in the promised land, how we ultimately get to heaven. And accordingly, just in case you zone out for the next 30 minutes, let me tell you how you get it. You get rest by having faith. You get rest by having faith. You get the glory of heaven by having faith. You get eternal life with God in his promised land to come by having faith. But to return to where we began, you've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. Friend, from a heavenly perspective, I wonder how those lyrics sound now. Perhaps to some here, they make perfect sense. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, of course, that's very obvious. You've got to have faith. I've got faith and I'm looking forward to heaven. But for others here, well, maybe you wouldn't admit it, but, but faith is a word that's always kind of worried you because faith has always seemed kind of rather elusive, something that is, that is waxed and waned throughout your life. Some days you're not sure if you've got faith. If you're not a very confident Christian, you're not a kind of daring Ruth girl or a, a George Michael pop star kind of guy, and, and you're not sure whether you, you've, you've got it or whether you've got enough of it. And as a result, perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you're genuinely not sure of your place in heaven. Or or maybe you're sitting here and and you're not even sure what this Christian faith is all about. You wonder if some people are just born with it. 
Perhaps some of people just inherited it from their religious parents. So you wonder how someone with your background would even begin to get faith. Well, if that's you this morning, this is for you. Because this chapter, we discover what faith, what real faith looks like and how it relates to finding rest. Indeed, there are five things, five things this morning which reveal to us what biblical faith is all about. And the first of these, the first point this morning is that faith realizes that rest may be found in Christ. Faith realizes that rest may be found in Christ. Like the beginning of some kind of uh, Jane Austen novel, our story begins with a very loving Naomi telling Ruth that, that she really longs for things for her. She really longs that life would go well with her. And in this patriarchal society, for things to, to go well, she needs a home. And for a home, she needs to find a man. Uh, Ruth has found food in the summer, but her winter will be perilous as a widowed foreigner. And so perhaps, perhaps over, over a Saturday morning coffee, Naomi and Ruth sit down in a very, very level-headed way, and they brainstorm these options for getting rest. And very quickly, they realize that, that Boaz could be the answer. Indeed, in verse 2, Naomi here gives Ruth three logical reasons. Firstly, Boaz is a relative. He's one of the same clan, and so there's some sense of family duty there, maybe. And secondly, Boaz has been very kind to Ruth. Ruth's already been working with his female harvesters. And finally, Naomi knows where Boaz is. The harvest is over. It's winnowing season. It's probably June. And although this separation of, of chaff and, and grain was, was carried out on a rocky hillside, the rock stopping the dirt being mixed in and, and a windy hilltop blowing the chaff away, and although, therefore, Boaz is probably a good kind of rocky climb away, Boaz's location was at least known. And so at the end of verse 2, we picture the, the ever-cunning mother-in-law rubbing her chin kind of impishly and saying, hmm, tonight he will be at the threshing floor. But before we continue on with the drama, what, what has this realization got to do with our faith? Well, well the Christian faith begins with a realization too. Firstly, it begins with a realization for our need for rest, just as Naomi outlines to Ruth. And that realization comes to everyone because Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has placed eternity in every heart. In short, all of us have this unquenchable desire for rest, that this weary feeling of needing an eternal home, a place in the promised land. It's true, isn't it? We all realize that the need for, for, for wellness through stability, we, we, we all want a, a permanent place, a permanent home. In fact, just like Ruth and Naomi, we, we actually regularly sit down with, with our friends and our family and we sigh just like Naomi does here and we say, I just want it to be well with you. I, I want a permanent place of blessing for you. I want you to be out of this painful and insecure place. And what we're really saying in our heart of hearts is, I want heaven for you. I want you to have rest, for we're made for rest, and not this unstable world of woe. But also here, we understand the Christian faith begins with a realization that this hope for rest may be possibly found in the person of Christ. 
For as I already said continually uh, throughout this book, and particularly in chapter 1, Boaz foreshadows Jesus Christ in the same way that the rest foreshadows heaven. Accordingly, in Matthew 11, very famously picking up on that idea, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, Christian faith begins with a passage like that, with the realization that that, that like Boaz, Jesus is not just a really nice guy, but a man who promises permanent rest for the soul, that potentially Jesus holds the keys to heaven. Accordingly, the Christian faith normally starts slowly. Faith typically doesn't come in an instant as if you just one day wake up with faith. And moreover, faith does not start irrationally. No, faith starts with a careful investigation of who Jesus is. Faith starts in the same careful way that these these two ladies start thinking about Boaz with a very sober-minded review of who he was. And consequently, at this juncture, let me say that maybe the chief takeaway from this passage for you is to carefully investigate your options for rest. Obviously not to weigh up your options for a man, but to sit down with a friend or a family member or, or me or Matt or anyone you've seen here up front and to ask, who really is Jesus? Who, who really is this one who, who offers rest, heaven to come? Why not at least make acquaintance with the man who says, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls? Very practically, why not read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? For biblical faith begins by realizing that rest may be found in Christ. Faith realizes that rest may be found in Christ. And yet as the drama builds here, and back to our story, and as Ruth leaves the breakfast table, we we, we secondly see that the biblical faith cannot just remain at the breakfast table. For it's all very well that, that for Naomi to highlight the possibility of land being found in, in, in marriage to Boaz, but, but unless Ruth actually did something, then, then rest would not be attained. If Ruth choked on a breakfast bagel mid-plan, she would have died without any title deeds in the land. She would have died as an outsider, just like her former husband. You see, it wasn't enough that, that Ruth just had a kind of vague interest in Boaz or saw his merits. If Ruth was going to survive the winter, Ruth had to act. And so back to our story. Naomi hatches a plan for that evening. Verse 3, look with me. Wash therefore and anoint yourselves and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and then go and uncover his feet and lie down. Point two this morning. Faith risks reputation for rest in Christ. Faith risks reputation for rest in Christ. Now, now we don't know all the the 11th century BC customs and practices, so we must take care here. But but even with 21st century eyes, I think it's fair to say that, that Naomi's plan is a pretty risky one, isn't it? Indeed, you can probably feel the, the, the rising risk and the embarrassment running through, Naomi's, uh, through Ruth's mind as Naomi outlines this, this strategy step by step. Firstly, Ruth is to, is to smell beautiful, to smell enticing. She is to wash herself and, and to anoint herself. 
Having a bath was actually a relatively rare thing back then, but, but anointing yourself was even rarer. It was something you did on your, your wedding night. And then Ruth is to put on her cloak or her simlar in the Hebrew, which can easily be translated her best dress, which if nothing else would have shown that she was no longer a grieving widow. And then with the kind of the lipstick on and the perfume sprayed and with her best dress billowing it in the summer night air, Ruth is then to go to the threshing floor. She is to leave the house under the cover of darkness and she is to climb up to the threshing floor upon that hillside, which historically was the kind of the nightclub of the day where all kind of promiscuity happened. And once she is there, she is, avoid, she is to avoid all the other men who no doubt could have done all manner of terrible things to her particularly since the way she was dressed, and particularly because she had no rights as a foreigner in the land. And then Ruth is to spy on her boss. And when she sees that he's had a beer or two, and he goes to lie down, Ruth is to uncover his feet, literally his legs, and she is to lie down next to him. Now, I really don't think this is an R-rated scene, as some commentators suggest. After all, Boaz is a worthy man, not a drunken man, Fornication was, was wrong in the Old Testament, and, and chapter 4 makes it very clear that Boaz waited to consummate their marriage. But what is also very clear is that this is no G-rated scene either. One commentator I read said, Ruth basically just takes Boaz's socks off here so he'd wake up when he got cold. I'm pretty sure it's a little bit racier than that. After all, the, the author says eight times here that Ruth was to lay down with Boaz. But whatever the details, this, this young girl essentially is to throw herself at an old man. This young girl is to ask an old man to marry her. And the point of all these details is to, is to highlight just how risky it all was, just how vulnerable Ruth would have been. It was risky physically, and it was risky financially, and it was no doubt risky emotionally. And most of all, it was risky reputationally. It's the equivalent of the, of the marriage proposal at the office party by the poor female immigrant cleaner to the rich male CEO of the company. It is the painfully embarrassing, nerve-wracking, getting down on one knee on the jumbotron moment. There's no going back to work after this. And Ruth's sweet perfume and her very best dress and her, and her long journey at night and now her location in his very bed all underscore Ruth's absolute utter desperation for him. And so what do we learn from it? Well, again, I hope none of us are reading this and thinking that this is a viable plan for a future engagement. But rather... I hope that we see from Ruth's actions that this demonstrates another important aspect of Christian faith, for faith is risky. And when I say risky, I don't, I don't mean wild or silly. I mean that to find rest in Christ, we have to be willing to have our neediness exposed, to come to him in absolute vulnerability because of our deep poverty. To find rest, we have to risk losing our reputation. A few years ago, when I was pastoring uh, in a very affluent part of London, I started to meet to read the Bible with an elderly lady who seemed at first to be very interested in the Christian faith. Uh, she was rich, and she'd done much charity work over the course of her life, 
And she liked the fact that Jesus was kind too. She liked the fact that Jesus helped the poor. But when we started talking about Jesus' teaching and the fact that Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when I pointed out to the fact to her that therefore heaven was for poor people like, like me and her, those who saw that they were spiritually poor, those who found rest in heaven by, by running to Jesus and throwing themselves upon him and utter poverty, she did not like it one bit. Indeed, seconds after, after sipping her cup of tea and talking very nicely to me, she just flew into this great rage. And she told me in no uncertain terms that, that she was not going to come to Jesus like that. If she was going to wed herself to Jesus, she was going to come as a kind of fellow farmer of charity, one who was kind and rich too, one who'd come through the front door of the farm and would shake hands with Jesus on a very reputable early morning as they discussed partnership in similar lines of work. She was not going to come to Jesus as Ruth comes to Boaz, sneaking into his bedroom, imploring marriage, risking all her moral reputation and revealing just how needy she was. But friends, that is what our faith requires. That is what faith requires. It requires not only the realization that rest is found in Jesus, but a willingness to come to Christ, risking our reputation. As Christopher Ashe writes on these verses, here we observe that faith makes us vulnerable. For true faith abandons all other security. Christian faith is a risky thing. And yet as our story reaches its pinnacle here, we must know what Ruth really puts our faith in. For Ruth relies finally not on her own recognition for rest, nor on her recognition of Boaz's suitability, nor finally on her faithfulness to Naomi's risky plan or the attractive humility in her approach, perhaps, but rather Ruth relies finally on Boaz. And hence point three. Faith relies finally on Christ for rest. Faith relies finally on Christ for rest. In verse 8, we pick, we pick up the, kind of the apex of the book. Ruth, who just a few chapters ago was, was mourning in Moab, has now reached the bedroom of Boaz. And having softly removed his blanket and covers, she now waits in the darkness by his feet. Can you, can you feel the tension in the black of night, verse 8, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Boaz's cry in verse 9 is, is expected. Who are you? But Ruth's response is perhaps unexpected. After all, we note that Ruth has not been told what to do next, but Ruth's courageous reply is brilliant. So how does Ruth reveal herself to Boaz? But it's striking, isn't it, that Ruth does not define herself by her past or by her work or by her mother-in-law, but rather Ruth defines herself by who Boaz is. Firstly, she says, I am Ruth, your servant. I am Ruth, I'm one who sees you as Lord. And secondly, she says, spread your wings, your God-given blanket of protection over your servant, for you are a redeemer and I am a poor, destitute foreigner who needs rest so badly. Friends, this is the Christian faith in a nutshell. 
It is a bold reliance upon the fact that Christ is Lord and a bold reliance on the fact that Christ can provide rest because he is Lord. Indeed, in many ways, Ruth's outrageous demand of Boaz here bears all the hallmarks of when a foreign woman comes to Jesus in Matthew 15 when her daughter is ill. For there a foreign woman similarly throws herself at Jesus' feet as well and says, have mercy on me, Lord. And Jesus basically replies, who are you? Have I not been sent to feed the sheep of Israel rather than give food to foreigners? And yet this woman keeps on begging, begging for rest. She even happily identifies herself as a dog and says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And so, Matthew 15, Jesus answered her, probably with a great smile. O woman, great is your faith. Friends, can you see? Faith is not something that that one is born with. Faith is not something rooted in any self-confidence. Faith is not something you have when when you don't have any evidence. Faith is, is not a feeling mustered up in ourselves. Moreover, faith is not even based upon some kind of soppy, starry-eyed feelings we have about Jesus at any given moment, any more than Ruth's faith was based on whether she fancied Boaz. No, Christian faith is a bold throwdown to the one who promises to provide rest to weary souls. True Christian faith is to say, Jesus, I understand who I am and who you are. Jesus, you are Lord, and I am a mere servant. Jesus, you alone can redeem me from my sin. Jesus, you alone can unlock the doors of heaven. And so be who you are. Give this dog rest. Let me feast at your heavenly banquet. The Scottish minister, Hugh Martin, described it as this. Now, this is the very essence of the contest between faith and unbelief. Unbelief shrinks from being contented with having my eternal salvation entirely in the hands of another. Unbelief searches diligently for something to trust in myself and would look upon it with complacency and rest upon it with peace and delight could it be succeeded in the search. But the search is vain. In me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, but faith looks out. Faith looks to Jesus. Faith says Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is infallible. Jesus is true. Faith sees salvation safe in his hands and says, my Lord and my God, I am thine and so we are one. Faith relies finally on Christ for rest. And what are the results of such faith? Well, having seen Ruth's staggeringly bold Uh, demand, her recognition of his provision of rest, her her risking of her reputation, her reliance upon him and him alone, wonderfully, Ruth gets rest. Point four, faith results in rest in Christ. Faith results in rest in Christ. For for even, even speedier than the proposal of Ruth comes the promise of Boaz. Look with me at verse 10. Wonderful words. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you've not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. 
Friends, again, picture this scene and the beauty of it. And again, the depth of of vulnerability of true faith. Ruth is poor. She sits at her master's feet in her very best, all dolled up to the best of her ability, but no bath can really wash away her poverty. No anointing can really make her an Israelite. No dress can can really make her a worthy bride. No humble plea can really make Boaz say yes, but her faith is not in her beauty or in her bedding, but in her Boaz. And Boaz, being faithful and kind, does not leave her guessing for a second. Of course I'll marry you. Of course I will provide rest for you. I love you, Ruth. Ruth's faith is not in vain. Again, it is just like that Canaanite woman in in Matthew 15. For what was Jesus' answer to her in full? Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Accordingly here, Boaz prays for Ruth for, for an instant blessing. He tells Ruth not to fear for another moment. He promises Ruth that that he will do all that she asks. And Ruth is headed for rest. She is bound for a place in the promised land. And her tears of joy that night, at the certainty of the land to come because of Boaz, may be our tears of joy this day, at the certainty of heaven to come because of Christ. If we have faith in Christ, If we trust in him, we may hear those same words from the lips of Jesus. Do not fear, for I will do for you all that you ask. It is true, I am a redeemer. Friends, running to Christ in our best rags, begging for rest, it may be deeply embarrassing, but it will never be disappointing. For no matter what you or I have done, no matter how far off we feel, no matter whether you started as far off as Ruth or whether you started close but ran away like Naomi, Christ will never, ever turn away the one who comes to him in faith. But just in case Naomi thinks that Boaz is not a man of his word, just in case Ruth begins to doubt on the the journey back home to her mother-in-law, Ruth and Naomi get a down payment of the land to come. Because before she sneaks back into the city, Boaz says to Ruth in verse 15, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. And so she held it out. And he measured out six measures of barley and he put it on her. Boaz wants Ruth to enjoy some of the first fruits of the land now, that she may remember the blessing to come. Boaz wants her to know that that her faith is effective right away that her faith will result in her place of rest. And so she is given a kind of slice of it, a literal slice of it to take home with her. And again, how true of that is in Christian life. When we come to Christ who offers us rest, we find rest instantly. We find rest from thoughts of God's justice and his righteous wrath against our guilt. We begin to find rest from addictive sins and, and the accusations of the evil one. We find rest from the many cares of this world and our fears about the future and many of our sorrows and sufferings. Ruth's six measures of barley is nothing compared to the first fruits of God's rest for those who have faith in Christ. And yet, 
we must not miss here that there is a final crucial aspect of faith. And that final aspect this morning is that faith requires us to wait for ultimate rest with Christ. Faith requires us to wait for ultimate rest with Christ. In the middle of verse 12, I don't know if you noticed, but we hit a sudden snag, a shocking revelation that potentially bursts all those grand plans of a great wedding day. Middle of verse 12, yet, said Boaz, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There is someone else who could provide, and I have to go to the courts to settle all this. And so at the very end of our chapter, end of verse 18, we are left with a kind of real cliffhanger, a real end of episode, come back next week moment. For verse 18, the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. But until he returns, Ruth's rest cannot be enjoyed in full. And so in faith, Ruth must wait. One of the more heartwarming stories that I read in the news uh, over this past year was a story of, of Fionn Martin. Fionn is a girl from Wales in the United Kingdom, who's had a pretty tough life. When she was born, after discovering that she had Down syndrome, her her mother put her up for adoption. Indeed, in the UK, 90% of babies with Down syndrome are aborted. And then, when she was just two years old, a consultant pediatrician looked at her and laughed and said, well, she won't be an engineer, will she? And so, as an adopted child with Down syndrome, Living in rural Wales with her single mum, Theon didn't think much of marriage. But in this last year, against all the odds, Theon met Chris, who was also an adopted Down syndrome sufferer from mid-Wales. And so just after over a year ago, in her back garden, to the surprise of their carers, Chris turned to Theon and simply said, you make my heart fly. Can I have your hand for marriage? And Fionn instantly said yes. But what happened next? Well, sadly, coronavirus and lockdown in in Wales and and, and a lockdown that was one of the heaviest in the whole of Europe. Chris and Fionn, particularly those most at risk, were, were separated from each other. And all of Fionn's wedding plans and all her hopes and dreams were put on hold All she could do was wait. She could not see Chris anymore. The news article said they solely talked on the phone. Friends, the Christian faith is is not a blind shot in the dark. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And yet Hebrews 11 verse 1 goes on, Faith is the conviction of things not yet seen. In short, we have the trustworthy assurance of Christ. But the Christian faith, it is not seeing Christ yet. And so the Christian faith is, is a life of, of waiting, of waiting for that wedding day. The Christian faith possesses, possesses the promise, but sees not the Savior. The Christian faith wears the engagement ring with pride, but sees not the glorious wedding day yet. Christian faith holds the house key, but finds no home here. For Christian faith 
waits. Yes, we, we, we know Christ. And we may listen to his words as we have done this morning, such that we may trust in that promised rest to come. But we live in the age of the phone call and not the age of the embrace. We live a life of engagement during COVID lockdown. We live waiting for the cruel restrictions to be over. And because of that, because of that, friends, faith is often hard. It's wearing. Sometimes it's worrying. It's often painful. As we keep asking when, when will this all be over? It can cause days of depression and yearning, even days of occasional doubt. Indeed, who knows how many secret doubts Theon had during those dark days of 2020. Who knows how many dark secret doubts Ruth had during those 24 hours of waiting. But friends, let me encourage you. Let me encourage us all that if you look to the faithful Boaz to come, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know that that wedding day will come. It will come. In fact, just as Fion's marriage is now just, just weeks away, just as Ruth's marriage is, is just the, the next chapter away, so the wedding supper of the Lamb is the next chapter in our lives. If you wait in Christ, trusting in him alone, that promised heavenly rest is coming. It is coming. But you've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. Let's pray that we might. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would grant us all faith this day. Father, we pray that in some you would stir their hearts towards the rest that they long for and in a realization that heaven can be found in your dear Son. Father, in others we pray that you would melt pride. Father, we pray that you would make them see that they must come in in vulnerability, willing to risk all reputation for Christ. Father, in others, we, we pray that this would finally be the day when they do trust in Christ, the day when they begin to experience the great joys of resting Christ now and sin paid for and heaven to come. And Father, for those here who are weary this morning, weary of waiting, tired of this world in lockdown, tired of people who break their promises. Father, would you give them wonderful assurance in Christ? Would they hold on to his promises as they patiently wait for that wonderful wedding day to come? And would they know that he is coming soon? He's coming soon. We pray this for our good and your glory. Amen.